Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we find our text. If you're new or visiting, we're working our way on Sunday mornings through 1 Corinthians, and we find ourselves in chapter 10, verse 14, verse 14. And so we'll pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do you provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the marketplace, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols... Do not eat it for the sake of the ones who told you. And for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not for not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense, either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Father, we thank you for the morning. I pray for the gift of teaching. Use your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The therefore is there because of what Paul just said. That every human being has been or will be tempted with all of the similar temptations that the spiritual forces of darkness throw at us. Now those forces have 6,000 years of practice. But it's still the same old temptations just wrapped up in a different package. Remember, idolatry is placing anything or anyone above God. Careers, hobbies, kids mates, education. The enemy will use anything to try to divide our allegiance to God. So in the beginning verses of this chapter, 1 through 13, that we read, Paul has been showing about the mistakes or failures of the Israelites during their wilderness journey. 
And now he's going to share with the Corinthians a principle that is still true to this day. And I think the Lord said it best when he was teaching his disciples early on about the principles of the kingdom. In Matthew 6, 24, the New Living Translation, we read this. No one can serve two masters, still applicable today. You have a flesh, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Who are you going to allow to master your life? If you allow your flesh to master your life, then you will do things that are unbiblical. If you allow the Holy Spirit to rule your life, then you will do things that are biblical. Still the same today. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God and money, very specifically. So when we think of idolatry, I would imagine that there's not one Christian in this room this morning that is bowing down or praying to an image. Yet money is the main focus for most people within as well as without the church. We need money to survive, right? We need money to live. But how much money do we actually need? It needs to be the question for you and I. Yes, even within the church, money has always been one of those subtle tools that is used by the enemy to blaspheme God's word. How many people will not attend a church, even give God a chance, because of the abuses that have taken place between churches and finances? And that's why we have three people, three uh, accountants look over our finances every year, every month, Two of them do, and every month they balance our sheet. So they know where all the money is going every single month. There's no abuse of money, and there hasn't been in 18 years, and there's not going to be. It's God's money, not mine. I take it very seriously, and so does everyone else on staff. And so we have to be careful. That's one reason why Paul wrote to Timothy in his first epistle. He wanted to warn them about the evil desires of finances that any one of us could have, guys. Don't think, well, that doesn't apply to me. (laughs) Yeah, right. It applies to all of us. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice that. Not money itself. It's the love of money that becomes the root. And some people craving money. Listen to what the Holy Spirit writes through Paul to Timothy, a young pastor who oversaw the church at Ephesus, have wandered from the true faith. So this isn't just filler. This isn't a side note. This isn't like, yeah, it might happen. Well, probably not. Let's leave it out of the Bible. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit put it in the Bible for a very specific reason. It's applicable to any one of us, myself included. We have to guard our flesh. We have to guard our hearts. Have wandered. That's past tense. Not might wandered. They have already left. They've wandered from the true faith. And pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's idolatry. So again, we don't want to put this far away with little images over in India that have millions, literally millions of idols and millions of God. Yeah, they're backwards. They don't know what they're doing. I've got my money and it says, in God I trust on it, so I must know what I'm doing. Really? Do we trust in God? Or do we trust in our money? It's a very important question to ask ourselves in these days we're living in. You see, Paul knew what it was like to have abundance as well as to have nothing at all. So as we read these verses, even though Paul is addressing something very specific to the culture at Corinth, as we read on here about food sacrificed to idols, we might want to check out of this chapter. Don't check out. We can still greatly benefit from these insights. Verse 15, I speak to you as wise men. Men here is mankind, men and women. Judge... 
for yourselves what I say. You see, the believers at Corinth were very young in their walk with the Lord. And maybe you've received the Lord recently. So you're young in the Lord. And Paul is calling them to continue to mature in the faith. He desires them to be wise concerning the things of the Lord. And I really appreciate that. Romans 16, 19 says this. And don't worry if you're new or visiting. We're going to have you turn. But I have so many verses that I reference. We can't turn every verse or we wouldn't get through it all. So you can take a picture of it or write it down for your own reference. Romans 16, 19 says, For your obedience has become known to all. Your obedience. People are watching your obedience in your workplace. They're watching me in the neighborhood. They're watching me here on the campus. They're watching us out in the, work, uh, out in the, the public life. They're watching us. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise. This is the point here. I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. I discourage you from trying to dig and dig and dig and find out who the Antichrist is. Dig and dig and dig and try to find out what's going on in the government. Dig and dig and because you're going to get consumed with stuff that you are not going to understand. It's going to get you so mad, so frustrated, anxiousness. If you've got that much time to dig that much, dig into the Word of God. Dig into the Word of God and come teach in the Sunday school or the junior higher. If you're going to spend five hours a day digging into news, dig into the Word of God. We'd love to have you teach the Bible because that's way better than any news you're going to get. So evaluate. Now, I watch the news, maybe 15 to a half hour a day. That's enough for me. I'm like, oh my gosh. If I didn't know Jesus, I would, I would not be doing good right now, guys. I'd be plotting and planning. Somebody's going to die. And you know, that's what people are doing without Christ. When you hear the word civil war, there's going to be a civil war in America. That's not, that, that is not fake. There is going to be a war in America. It is going to happen. People are getting pushed and pushed and pushed, and somebody's going to snap. And it's not just going to be one person. It's going to be a group. It's going to happen. So get ready, for, get ready for Jesus and get ready to promote Jesus. It's not about Republican, Democrat, socialist, whatever. It's not about that. It's about the enemy has come to do what? Deceive, Revelation 12, 9, and then John 10, 10, steal, kill, and destroy. That's all it is. So look at verse 16 and 17. The cup of blessing which we bless, and I didn't plan this, it just happened to flow this way. We had communion this morning. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we, are part- we all partake of that one bread. Communion, koinonia, that's the word here, koinonia. And is defined as partnership or participation, intimate fellowship. Intimate fellowship. When the Jewish people would eat a meal, it was one of the most intimate times of the day. They believed that by eating a meal together, they were becoming one with each other. And this is key when you think of Jesus and who he ate meals with. And that's why the Pharisees and the religious elite of the day said, Your master is going to eat meal with a sinner? Why? Because you become one. I'll keep explaining it. So he ate meals with Zacchaeus and Matthew, two tax collectors. And what about Judas at the Last Supper? He knew that Judas was going to betray him, but he still washed the feet of Judas. He still loved Judas. He even warned Judas, one of you is going to betray me. It would be better if that man had never been born. Gave Judas a warning, but he had to go to the cross You see, they would all partake of the same loaf of bread, passing it around the table to each other. 
They would break off a piece of the bread and dip it in the blend of oils and spices. You see, we have bread. We, it's all nicely sliced for germ purposes so we don't pass bread around and break it off. But in that culture, they didn't do that. This bread would then be assimilated into their bodies, and each one of them would receive the blessing of those nutrients. Very symbolic. The blessing of the nutrients was just one aspect of the meal. The most important aspect of the meal was the principle that the people were becoming one with each other. And in our culture, we lose that. We have no idea. Maybe this is the first time you've heard this. This, when you read your Bible, you also want to do a little bit of studying on the culture to make it more real and to pop out so you fully understand what's taking place here. We're becoming one. We're becoming one. Again, that's why the religious elite were so upset with Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. This wasn't mystical or magical. It was just a practical principle. And so now Paul takes that principle of sharing, and the Corinthians would have known that, So he takes that practical principle of sharing the meal with someone and applies that principle towards communion. As he goes on to explain in verse 18, Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? So again, for you and I, this is foreign. So we've got to remember this was written before 70 AD. So the temple was still in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. And there will be a a temple built on the Temple Mount. I've been up on the Temple Mount nine times. There's plenty of room to build it. And they're going to build it right where there's a dome on top of the Temple Mount that the Muslims built, I believe it was in the late 900s AD, and they call that little dome the Shrine of the Spirit. They believe that's where the Holy of Holy once resided. From 900s A.D., the Muslims built that, not the Jews, not the Gentiles. And what did they call it? The Shrine of the Spirit. Guys, God is coming back. And that's exactly where the new temple is going to go, the temple of the tribulation period. But at this time, they knew about the sacrifices of animals. They knew about the blood sacrifices. They knew that the Jews were crazy, constantly offering these sacrifices, these blood sacrifices for the covering of their sins. So Paul isn't talking foreign like I might be talking foreign to you. His readers are going, oh, okay, yeah, we know Israel. Oh, yeah, yeah, we know about the sacrifices. We know what they do. You see, the pilgrims who brought the sacrifices to the temple in Jerusalem would also share the partaking of those sacrifices. Certain parts of the sacrifices would be burned and left on the altar. Some of the sacrifice would be consumed by the priest and his family. And then some of the sacrifice would be eaten by the ones offered, who offered the sacrifice. They were bringing an offering, partakers. Notice in verse 18, partakers there. A sharer, a sharer. They were an example of the relationship that took place between the eternal God and the temporal man. How much more the participation of having communion. And that's why we take a little bit longer. I know in some churches uh, they do communion and it's over within two minutes. And so if you're new or visiting, you're going, man, that was a long time. That that was a waste of time. You don't understand communion. If you're mine, you thought it was a waste of time. You do not understand communion. We're seeing it right here. It's an intimate relationship with our God, allowing the Holy Spirit, which we can do every single day apart from communion. You say, God, I just sinned, or God, am I sinning? You can ask him any time. But specifically, communion is for that intimate time of saying, God, am I living an unwillful, disobedient lifestyle? So important. 
How much more the participation of having communion, which we'll see in a few verses here, where we remember the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 19 and 20. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? So now going back to their culture. Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. The heart of a pastor. I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. That's demonic. You see, the Gentiles were offering their sacrifices to someone, and here we find out who that someone is. Demons. Demons. You see, Paul is reminding them of the simple fact that an idol is nothing to the Christian. I've gone to, when we were on a, in, in Houston visiting our grandkids, we went into the donut store to get some donuts for the grandkids. And here's a little Buddha with food around it. I'm like, I didn't yell and scream and, I can't buy your donuts. I didn't do any. I'm just kind of like, how silly. Does this guy ever eat this stuff? They have to take it away. He never gets up and eats it. Never. Maybe a rat or a roach, but not him. It's just a chunk of stone or a hunk of metal. That's all it is and nothing more. But to the unbeliever, it's an object of utmost importance. So since it's an object of such, then the Christians at Corinth shouldn't have anything to do with them. Again, bring it to the culture. Fellowship has the same root word as partakers in verse 18. A sharer. Don't share in the evil practices of the unbelievers. Well, what do we find ourselves sacrificing just like the heathen do today or the unbeliever? So, a couple questions. Are we offering up our time with the family so that we might get ahead in our career? Is our job more important, whether you're a male or a female? Are you offering up our time with our spouses because friends are more important? Are you sacrificing your marriage because you're young and you haven't realized that your friends are friends and they, you're now in a new season of life and you need to make sure you manage your household? Do I offer up integrity or decency because of the pressures from my peers? I worked at Motorola. I had peers around me that would tell dirty jokes that would come around taking up a collection for a stripper to come to a retirement party. And I would have to say, "Uh, no, I'm not donating to that and I won't be coming to that retirement party. I'm a believer and that's not of God. Are you willing to take a stand? You see, don't sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the temporal. Let that sink in. That's for all of us. Your kids are temporal. Thank God they leave. Praise God. Grandkids come along. Yes! Can send them home. Love it. Sugar them up and send them home. But don't sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the temporal. Your job, your career, your 401k, what you're doing with other people at your workplace that you shouldn't be doing, you're sacrificing. You're sacrificing the eternal. You're sacrificing your witness for Christ. They're looking at you going, see, you're no different than me. They might not be verbally saying that, but in their mind, see, you're no different than me. What's your Christianity? You swear just like I do. You look at the opposite sex just like I do. You make jokes about the supervisor just like I do. Huh, you're no different. Okay, I guess I'm okay. 
I don't need to worry about you, Jesus. I don't need to worry about heaven or hell. If you're okay, I'm okay. Why mess with it? They're watching us, guys. They're watching us. Let's look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And the team always does a great job with the slides. So if you're new to your Bible, I encourage you to have a Bible. Apps are wonderful. But I encourage you to get used to your Bible. So when they shut your phone off, you'll still be able to find the Word of God. That'll never happen. (laughs) I think we've been saying that the last 16 months. Well, that'll never happen. And things keep happening. It's like... (laughs) They'll never make children get vaxxed, right? Get the shot. That'll never happen. What happened this past week? State of California, the communist state of California said, kindergarten K through 18-year-olds must be vaccinated in order to go to school. Must. No choice. You have no decision. It must happen. As far as I know from science, correct me if I'm wrong, feel free afterwards to give me some different statistics, but from what I've read, one in million, one in a million under the age of 18 years old have died of COVID. Statistically, one in a million. Not getting sick. Yes, they're getting sick. I understand that. So are the people that have gotten vaccinated. They're still getting sick and they're still dying. The numbers are out there. So don't even go down that scientific road. It's a total game if you're wasting your time on that. You have to pray about it. Get the shot if you want to get it. Just don't push it on anybody else. And if you don't want it, don't push that on anybody else. Let people do what they want to do. But do some scientific study. Make sure that you're making the right decision for you and for your family. So it's so important. Where are we at? Verse uh, 21. Verse 21, James chapter 1. All right, I'm going to read 21. You're in James chapter 1. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and drink the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Okay? So James 1, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Yes, yes, 2021. We love this trial. I don't love it, but here it says count it all joy because God's going to do something through it. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. If your faith has not been tested over the last 16 months, you're a dead fish floating downstream. If you're alive... You're swimming upstream and you're getting slapped in the face by all the fish coming downstream. And let patience have its perfect work. In other words, God wants to do a work in our life. He wants to build our faith. That you may be perfect, mature, and complete, lacking nothing. Not lacking nothing as far as this world's concerned. Paul lacked everything. He even had a prison ministry where he didn't have anything but the clothes on his back. So it's not talking about physical things. It's talking about lacking nothing spiritually. Do you have the peace of God? Do you have the love of God? Do you have the joy of the Holy Spirit? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to us liberally and without reproach and will be given to him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. Here's the key, the point that I wanted to make. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man or woman suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And the double-minded there means two-spirited, vacillating in one opinion or purpose. You see, once you know the Word of God, study the Word of God and build your life upon the Word of God, you will never be swayed to accept what this world is offering you, that men can have babies. As soon as you hear that, there should be like, I wonder if that's true. (laughs) Hello? 
Are you reading your Bible? Of course it's not true. And if you're here today and you're struggling in that, let us know. We'd love to help you. God is not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace and of a sound mind. And I understand in this culture when everybody's yelling at all these teenagers day in, day out, 24-7, I get while they're confused. I don't blame them. I, I hurt for them. I have sympathy for them. I want to reach them and say, let's have a talk. And I have had talks with them. I've sat down and talked with them lovingly, compassionately. And I've said to them, you know what I am after they told me what they are? I'm a six foot four black Sudanese male. That's exactly what they did. They kind of like the dog. Go, huh? I go, well, that's what I am. And they'll look at me and go, no, you're not. Well, then why do you expect, expect me to accept what you're trying to tell me? It's not science, is it? It's not DNA, is it? Because I know exactly who you are because you just told me. You, you told me what your heritage was. Can you change that heritage? Can you change your DNA? No. Okay, then. Why don't you just let God love you the way you are and let God create in you the woman he he wants you to be, the man he wants you to be. So we're not bashing here. We're not putting down. We're trying to reach people. But sometimes you have to just put it out there to slap somebody, to wake them up, to get them out of, oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, you didn't realize it because you've just been drinking it in, drinking it in and not evaluating it according to the word of God. We have to evaluate it according to the word of God. Don't become double-minded. You see, a Christian cannot have it both ways. You cannot walk in the ways of the world and expect God's blessings. You might benefit temporarily, but sooner or later, it will all come crashing down. Back in 1 Corinthians 10.22, I don't think we're going to make it, but that's okay. God has a plan. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he Interesting. A verse, Exodus 34, 14. This is in the middle of the verse. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous. That's one of the names of our God. Jehovah Jireh. Also another name is Jealous. He is a jealous God. The following is a poor analogy, probably, but here it goes. You know, there is that, there is often a jealousy amongst teenage girls. They don't like to share friends, especially when someone they would desire, uh, that they would consider really close to them, their BFF, best friends forever. They become jealous. And of course, as we grow older, we see how immature that is. Hopefully, as we grow up, we come to understand that we have numerous friends and we do not have to be jealous about their relationship with others. Now, God is absolutely mature. But here we see that he is a jealous God. And the word jealous here, one of Webster's dictionary, he's a Christian, he quotes scriptures in his dictionary. One of the definitions that he gives to it is vigilant, careful, concerned. Vigilant, careful, Concern. You see, I am jealous for my wife. I am jealous for, I'm not concerned if a male comes up and talks to her. I'm not concerned one bit as far as that junior high jealousy. But if a male comes up to hurt her, there's going to be a problem with the male, not with my wife. 
because we have a relationship, and I, as the male, am called to protect my wife, and I will do that to my utmost ability. That's the proper idea of jealousy. Someone's coming to hurt someone who's precious to me, and that would apply to my kids, my grandkids. That would apply to somebody in this flock. If somebody comes on this campus and starts harassing somebody, they're gonna, I'm going to be all over it. If, I'm, if I hear about it, I know about it, I'm going to be all over it. Why? Because I love you. I want to take care of you. I honor you. I respect you. That's a healthy jealousy. You're vigilant. You're careful. You're concerned about that relationship. You're not a teenage boy or girl worried that they're going to have another best friend. No, you're concerned about their well-being. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says this wonderfully. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, Paul writing, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. Notice that. Vigilant, careful, concern. For I betrothed you, I engaged you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, to Jesus. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve... Adam was just downright disobedient. Eve was deceived. By his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Who is he writing this to? Who is he writing it to? The church at Corinth. Years later, after he wrote what? 1 Corinthians. He's still concerned. Why? Because he introduced him to Jesus. So why are you going after these idols? These idols are nothing. You've got to focus on Jesus. So guys, for us today, it's so applicable. What are we going after? Our careers, our money, our hobbies? What are we going after? You see, God has no desire for us to have any other relationship that comes between our relationship with him. It's not that he has an earthly jealousy, and this is where we make mistakes. We try to bring God down, and we try to explain things in an earthly manner. God is God. It's not that God has earthly jealousy or that he's insecure. He just knows that when you place a greater importance on something or someone else, he knows this. We don't, and believe me, we do counseling here. I see it happen. Other than him, that is going to fail. And you will be greatly disappointed. We see it on a regular basis. Whether it's a relationship or whether it's your career, your finances, if that's where your trust is, if that's where your jealousy is, mm. he desires the best for his kids. So since he is God, he is jealous, and rightfully so. And I appreciate that. He is jealous or willing to guard a relationship that is best meaning of the word. Hopefully that, I explained that to you. Hopefully that made sense. Jealousy can be a good thing. Guard your relationships. Guard your relationships. But again, the definition, I think it's great definition. Vigilant, careful, concerned. Father, we thank you and praise you that your Holy Spirit is very vigilant, that your Holy Spirit dwells within us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And a matter of fact, we as believers, the scriptures say, we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And we know what that means and we know what that feels like. We can sense that when we've grieved the Holy Spirit. And I just thank you, God, that we can come as we did this morning, 1 John 1, 9, that we just confess that sin, and you make us right. You make us right on this side of heaven. We were always right on that side of heaven, in heaven itself. But you make us right on this side of heaven. 
So, Father, we thank you for that jealousy, that you're concerned about our walk. You're concerned about our relationships. You're concerned about our jobs. I know there are people in this room. We have a family member. They'd get the shot or they're fired. But I thank you for our family member who says, you know what? God's convicted me not to do it, and so I'm going to trust in him. Just build her up and strengthen her, Lord. And for those that are convicted otherwise, build them up and strengthen them, Lord. It's their walk. It's their faith. But Lord, I pray that we would truly be seeking after you, your word, that we'd allow you, as we just read this morning, to stretch our faith by being dependent upon you and not taking possibly an easy road of dependency upon something else, drugs, sex, pornography, money, whatever it might be, Lord. It, It seems like an easy road, but it's temporary and it's not an easy road. It hurts. It hurts lives. It hurts our lives. So, Lord, help us to rely upon you wholeheartedly, whatever that looks like. We just ask your Holy Spirit to convict us, to guide us this week, to reach out to others who are going to hell. We're going to heaven. Lord, that we might reach out to those who are going to hell. That if it's your will, Lord, we might be a part of that process of seeing someone saved. As, I, as we've seen uh, at the memorial service yesterday, a man who got saved seven weeks ago, and he was wondering, where was the gospel this whole time? <laughs> it was there. So, Lord, we just pray, help us to be available for those who are still walking in darkness, eyes who are, who are shuttered, that those shutters might be opened, and that they'll come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.